Welcome to ATRA, Voices from the Field. This sustainable agriculture podcast is presented by the National Center for Appropriate Technology with support from USDA Rural Business Cooperative. This podcast features excerpts from a panel discussion on marketing that took place during an INCAT workshop on vegetable production and business management held at the Heifer Ranch in Perryville, Arkansas on May 10th, 2017. Our Southeast Regional Director, Margot Hale, facilitated the discussion, and the panelists were, in order of appearance, Mary Bone of Lighthouse Produce Farms in Fargo, Arkansas, Ben Maddox, of New South Produce Cooperative in Little Rock, Arkansas, and Paul Chaprocki of Ozark Alternatives in Lowell, Arkansas. In this segment, the panelists discuss successful strategies for selling at the farmer's market and through CSAs, in addition to tips on pricing your produce and setting yourself apart in the marketplace. We hope you enjoy the discussion. So now tell us a little bit um, about what marketing channels you've had the most success with and why you think that is. I've actually had the most success with the farmer's market. And I think that is because, uh, number one, my husband shows up every week with the produce. That helps. but, (laughs) But it's also important that when you grow your produce, you're taking it to the market, you want to make sure that it's clean, very clean. Uh, You might want to make sure, I think, he has a system of how he organizes his produce on the table. Even when he sells a certain amount, he rotates, keeps everything neat, uh, he labels everything. He even goes online, research the type of vegetable, Uh, tell about the type of nutrients in it. Uh, He actually (laughs) talks his customers into test tasting uh, the vegetables. Mm -hmm. And uh, some of the, of course you're going to have somebody that doesn't like the taste of something. You can't expect to be 100% on everybody. Uh, what was it, a salsa, and he also did pickled okra. 
Well, of course, you know, in order to be able to do this, you have to have access to a certified kitchen. Mm -hmm. We're fortunate enough that we do have access to a certified kitchen. So that was another thing. Also, you've got to have a personality to get these people to sample your value-added vegetables. Mm -hmm. So once he got them to sample, let's just say 9 out of 10 people purchased it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it was really good salsa. It was really good pickled okra. So that's where I'm doing the best. And uh, it is challenging work. He's up early every Saturday morning. They're open at 7 o'clock. you got to pack out everything. But you got to be there on time. When they come through, because if you miss the walkthrough, <laughs> you may not get very many purchases. Took too long. No, no, you're right. So, uh, markets you've had success with, and why? Um, yeah, I mean, so that's an interesting question. I think channel success, like market channel success, is sort of dependent on your goals. So we have, a, like I said, a hybrid of market types. Our direct to consumer, our, our CSA program. You know, that's a higher margin on the sale, uh, but it also has like a much higher customer acquisition cost. And so there are pros and cons with that. When I look at doing grocery stores, there's a lot of scalability there for us. Like we have to move a lot of produce. And so for me, it just depends on what I'm trying to do at a given time. Like I'll go to the groceries, grocery stores if I'm trying to move a larger volume, if I'm trying to get a higher margin, I'll go to direct markets and you just, it's a back and forth, back and forth for us. I don't... I don't know if anyone's more successful than the other one. I think the most successful market is the blended one, you know, because you need different things at different times of the year. Yeah, I've got to back that up too. I mean, <clears throat> starting out farmer's market, it's, it's tough. There's a lot of competition, long days. Um, I saw another vision when I lived in California when I was going to college with the CSA farm, and so I quickly went from, hey, this is not making money, too much competition, to like, i got to go get my own customers. And more and more people are looking for that direct connect. That's why they go to the markets, they can talk to their farmers. But if you can take it to the next level and start a program where people buy a, a membership to your farm, and you treat them like your member, and you invite them out, and show them the farm, do a tour, maybe a party at the end of the year, we've always done, repeat customers, they tell their friends. So. But there is work. I think you'd ask, well, what kind of input is there? You know, it sounds like you're managing a, a vegetable farm and you're managing this business. And it's true. I had to wear two different hats for, for many years and didn't get paid for the, the management. But it made sure that the farmer got paid real well. And that was most important. So that was my most successful effort for five years. It was guaranteed sales. And then I always went to the farmer's market to sell off my surplus. I called the co-op and sell off. So I was able, in five years running, have under 10% waste. Usually it was about 6 to 7% waste. When you ask any other farmer, you guys know, most farmers that go to the market have 30 to 40, sometimes it depends on the day. You might have come home with half your stuff if it rains. And that's tough because you've got to plant it, you've got to take care of it, you've got to harvest it, get it to the market, be all happy, and then poof. But with the CSA, my, my buddy used to always say who I partnered with early on, there's no rainy day with the CSA. The money is in the bank, you just show up with the yeah. food and give it to but them. But see, what's interesting about that is, yeah. so you know, our CSA is a couple hundred members every year, it's, it's pretty large. Um, one of the things I'm noticing though is I think 
anyone who's doing CSA is facing increased competition from the uh, blue aprons and the farm fresh to use and you know there's a million of them now and I think for a long time uh, CSA was sort of this protected market space for local small farmers and it's definitely not that way anymore like I have lost customers to those big box uh, direct direct home delivery services <laughs> And, you know, I don't know what the future of CSA is. I'm definitely not bullish on it. You know, I'm not betting long-term on CSA. It's great for us now. But I think anyone who's looking to get into CSA has to really make sure they're offering a value that those other services don't. You know. Yeah. Search the east and the west coast. Don't look at what CSAs are doing here because they're way behind the curve. When I researched, I was living on the west coast, seeing what they're doing. So when I got here 10 years ago, I knew that, <clears throat> okay, I think I was talking to... Paul, I'm way to have a curve. Right. So. <laughs> right. Yeah, 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 well. You're, you're unique. Uh, but I was talking to Andy because he's run a CSA for 23 years. I've only did it for five, so he's got yeah. four times, almost five times as much experience, so I love to pick his brain. But what we were talking about was keep, keeping those customers happy. Customer retention is the biggest thing. There's all kinds of reasons why you can't. You know, and usually it's not because of your food or what you're doing. It's usually personal reasons or it's expensive, whatever it might be. But you got to beat that drum. And uh, so keeping up with that is a big challenge. I kind of lost my train of thought for a Well, you got you got to recognize that the national retention rate for CSAs is close to 50%. Yeah. So you go out there, say you get 100 CSA customers, you're going to lose half of them if you're doing a great job. Yeah. And you've yeah. still got to go back and grind it out every year and get those people to sign up again. Right. It's hard. You know? If you can put in that effort, though, it does have a lot of great benefits. When you know you have to go and pick 50 pounds of potatoes because you got 50 members and 50 of these and 50 of these, you're moving all your crops, you can put it all in. It's not farmer's market. Sometimes you got a lot of stuff sitting there. Oh, I sold all my tomatoes. God, why didn't I have all tomatoes? <laughs> but, you know, with the CSA, it's like, hey, they don't get to choose what they have. So you're going to put in some arugula, you're going to put in that asparagus, you're going to put in... It allows in you to budget, too. Like, yes. You can build a farm budget around that. You absolutely can because the money's in the bank or it's coming soon, you can guarantee. But, but keeping up with that. So it's, you know, it's not for the, the weak at heart or remain at heart, you know, I mean, you got to be really into it and willing to work hard for yeah. that and for your customers and you have to keep them close and blog about it and have them to the farm and, you know, you just got to get unique. Oh, so oh, that's right. I remembered um, everybody came to the farm where I, I worked to come and pick up their produce every week, right? And they loved it. They brought their animals and their kids and it was this great thing and everybody loved it. And so and I, and I get back to Arkansas. So, okay. So you're telling me I've got to go and try to get customers and tell them you got to pay me in advance. You don't get to choose what you're going to get, and you got to come get it every week. <laughs> and then out there, they sometimes would have work days. You come and work on the farm. So I might as well do it myself. <laughs> so I realized, okay, I've got to modify this to my consumer base. So I started a delivery service. So we were delivering. I knew people in the south. This is where I grew up, they like to be catered to a little bit. If you're gonna pay for something, like, they better get their dollars worth out of it. I'm not gonna come and get it. That seems like this reverse psychology. So we started delivery service and boy, people loved it. Every day, you know, once a week, five o'clock, those bags would start showing up and they'd be, oh, here comes my farmer in his truck and the food and it's all packaged nice and looks pretty and it's great. So you gotta think, what do my consumers want? Not just here's the CSA and expect them to conform. And when it's not working over five years, I was constantly changing that model. How many weeks I offered, how much it was, what, what were we doing? And just, 
you know, figured it out as I went, but study, study, study but, what they're doing on the cusp. But that's the challenge about these like subscription-based models is that everyone wants uh, more choice and less commitment. And, <laughs> yeah. Right? And so, and so every year, you know, I sort of feel this pressure to offer more options, shorter windows, um, you know, more and more, and less, you know, less commitment on top of that. And I don't really know where that stops. Like for us, it's just sort of how it feels each year. And like, okay, we'll see to this ground. We used to only offer the 16 week in the summer. Now you can get an eight week. And so I don't know where it stops. Uh, at a certain point, I think we'll wake up and say this doesn't make sense anymore. But uh, yeah, I think you just have to adapt with the market as far as it works for you. So, yeah. Okay, do you guys see this CSA falling apart in time? I wouldn't say falling apart, but... Just modifying. Well, it sounds like a little doom and gloom. That's just Ben's personality. It's nice to have that, that market, but it looks like an emotional roller coaster. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I've successfully conveyed my point. From the marketing side, I can see that. Um, because I hate to say it, but you know, I, I take my product very seriously, and I, I know you guys do too. How you know? How can you separate that when someone says, and I hear it every day, "Oh, your strawberries are better than this." Well, I don't say a word because next year they could be saying the same damn thing about me. Exactly. And, exactly. and they may be telling me the truth, or they may just be playing games with it. So, well, in terms of that stuff, though, like. You've got to be able to brush most of it off, but still in, interpret and hear what they're saying and like change it down the road. But there's nothing you can do when the product's on the table. You know, yeah. I've had a person throw a CSA box at me. They opened it up, and said, "I don't like cucumbers." Threw it at me, and uh, oh yeah, and uh, you've got to be able to brush it off. I mean, obviously that's an extreme case. <laughs> <laughs> they were having a bad day. Yes, turns out we actually spoke later on, and he's like, "Man, I just had a real bad day." Okay. He's back next year. Sign up again. Uh, yeah, he's got issues. Yeah. It's not your cucumbers at that point. Yeah. But you just you do have to be able to brush a lot of that off, but also hear what they're saying and change things if, if it needs to be changed. So. I don't remember what the original question was, but Mary spurred a thought. Well, differentiating yourself, but go. Oh, yeah. So, um, you know, when we were sitting there looking at prices for potatoes and onions one time, and they're just miserable. Like, you can't, don't compete on potatoes and onions, you'll lose your shirt. But we still, we still want to have some variety, and we want to be in that product category. So, how can we compete? So, on onions, we grow scallions, you know, spring onions. On potatoes, we do fingerling potatoes, and those are things that are really hard for them to get from the broadline distributors. And if you're ever in that place where it's just like, man, the price is really tough on this, I can't compete with Idaho or whoever it is. You know, try and find some either baby version of something or some <laughs> special varietal of it uh, that no one else is really producing. I think that's generally a pretty good tip. Find a niche. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, just just a little twist on something that's old. I mean, uh, I grow uh, golden zucchini. Everybody's used to the green ones. You bring out these golden ones yeah. and people, and you just mix them in the basket. Two green, two gold, and people just, wow, I've never yeah. seen anything like it. How does it taste? Purple cauliflower. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just, just, and they're out there. Those those varieties are out there. Just change up cherry yellow tomatoes. Red. I mix the cherry tomatoes yeah. instead of just doing the red ones. Just little twists on things. 
if you're not like reinventing the wheel, but that's how you do, differentiate, yeah, yeah, set yourself apart. Yeah, uh, this year uh, we tried a different type of okra. Most people are familiar with green okra, uh, the spineless. Mm -hmm. But I decided to try a red burgundy okra. Gumbo okra. Oh, it went over really, really well. So then we had red okra and we had green okra. So my husband decided that he needed to, uh, I needed to market okra leaves, burgundy okra leaves, and the green okra leaves. So I mean, that was, you know, I I think that. That's one of the better products uh, because of. Oh, I'm sorry, I just lost my train of thought. How did you? How do you market an okra leaf? Yeah. <laughs> 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 so and over. <laughs> <laughs> so my husband said, "Well, we need to okra leaves." He came home. He researched them for the nutritional value. He did a printout. He took it to the market with him. Uh, tree like a green. Yes, okay. and I also cooked some of them. Uh, I cooked it Did just. You eat them? Yeah. Collard greens, I don't really like collards. No, the broccoli greens, I'll take them. <laughs> <laughs>